Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. But this week we have also had with us Sandra Tanner and her biographer, Dr. Ronald Huggins. Ron has finished the book, Lighthouse, Gerald and Sandra Tanner, Despised and Beloved Critics of Mormonism. And that is expected to be released very, very soon. So we're talking about some of the things that are in the book because it does cover quite a bit. There's a lot of names and a lot of history that is mentioned in the book. Yesterday, we were discussing the role that a barber in Salt Lake City had in the lives of both Gerald and Sandra Tanner. His name was James Wardle. He was not even a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was rather a member of a splinter group, probably one of the primary splinter groups, the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Today, that's known as the Community of Christ. On page 39, it states one of the most significant moments in their friendship, indeed, in Gerald's life, came when Wardle handed him an 1887 tract entitled An Address to All Believers in Christ. It was written by David Whitmer, one of the original Book of Mormon Three Witnesses, and it disturbed Gerald. He says some things in there that upsets both of you, and so Gerald is going to prove that David Whitmer was wrong. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Instead, you find out that what Whitmer was saying is true, when it comes to things like Joseph Smith changing revelations and things like that. So now you're starting to move on and looking at other aspects of Mormon history that you are finding troubling. This brings us to an encounter that you have with Joseph Fielding Smith, who at the time, this is around 1959, he is an apostle in the LDS Church, and it had to do with a document known as the Historical Record. Can you explain what the Historical Record is, and how did this confrontation with Joseph Fielding Smith come in? Andrew Jensen was the assistant church historian for the LDS Church back in the 1880s, and he had a periodical called the Historical Record, and he would do different church articles, faith-promoting stories and things, in his periodical. Well, in one particular issue, he did uh, the Joseph Smith story, and it's obviously based partly on the account in the back of the Pearl of Great Price of Joseph Smith's story, but he, he has it, some of it in his own words, and when he tells it, it's a little different than the standard telling. He talks of Joseph Smith going into the wood to pray what church to join. But in Jensen's account, Joseph encounters an angel. And the account says an angel, a holy being. And there's nothing about Jesus or God in the giving of the account. But then he later did a reprint of the book a few years later. And the words are changed to Jesus instead of angel which was an obvious change in direction for how the church was emphasizing the first vision. Well, my mom 
in her research, had a copy of historical records. She came across this account of the uh, vision experience in the grove of being an angel. Well, my aunt wanted to get the same book, so she bought one from a used book dealer. Only when she read her account, it had the Christ instead of the angel. So then they were showing Gerald and I how this had been changed. Why was it changed? At the time, we were all studying the problems of the first vision. Fawn Brody had kind of set this up. She was the biography of Joseph Smith, and she had mentioned that there were problems with the first vision story, that there were no early accounts of it. So my mom was trying to get to the bottom of all that. Gerald and I and my mom and my aunt had all been focusing on studying different accounts of the first vision, trying to figure out what the church originally thought it meant and how they viewed it. Did they view it as just an angelic appearance, or did they really see it as the father and son, the way the church presents it today? Well, I'd been in discussions with my bishop about my problems with Mormon history, and he had finally said, well, if you'll just write up one question, I'll send it to Joseph Fielding Smith for an answer. So I write this letter and put in it, you know, we got questions about the first vision. We have these books, the historical record, and it looks like there's a change in emphasis in Jensen's account of the first vision, which is about the 1887 time period of being printed. And at the first printing, it says Joseph went in the woods and saw an angel. A few years later, a reprint says he went into the woods and saw Christ. So my question to Joseph Fielding Smith was, why was it changed from angel to Christ? Why is there a problem with the first vision? Why aren't there early accounts of the first vision? It looks like there's some kind of problem here. And besides that, what about the first account of Joseph Smith's telling of the first vision account? Because I assumed they had to have a handwritten document by Joseph of the first vision, that he must have written it down. So I was just making an assumption. I didn't know anything about what they would have had. I just assumed they would have one in his handwriting. Of course, I didn't know at the time that he hardly wrote anything. Most everything was dictated to a scribe. My assumption was they must somewhere have an account of this. So this letter was sent by my bishop to Joseph Fielding. And when Joseph Fielding finally wrote back, he castigates me for asking these argumentative questions and that I'm just not really seeking for the truth, and if I'd pray about it. and What you're saying here, page 58 describes, and you have this exact story in there, Sanders letter was polite and deferential. The reply was not. Joseph Fielding Smith responded to Kennedy with little disguised fury. And we should mention that this is talking about Warren H. Kennedy, the bishop that My you bishop, referred to. Yeah. And this is a quote from Joseph Fielding Smith, an apostle and the church historian. Those questions come from those who do not seek the truth, but rather are steeled against it. If this young lady would seek the Lord rather than the mouthings of enemies of the church and obtain a testimony of the gospel, she would not be susceptible to the supposed arguments and mouthings of enemies of the church, end quote. Smith seems so irate at the question that he repeated himself again, quote, I tell you, Bishop, only those who do not seek to know the truth will quibble over this statement. This kind of argument is contemptible. It is used only by those who are in opposition to the work of the Lord, end quote. The apostle wasn't done. He accused Sandra of acting on behalf of a sinister conspiracy against the LDS church. Quote, now those who have concocted this plot 
have gone to considerable trouble to find other passages which seem to contradict this, which is the church's official story of the first vision. If they had placed half of this diligent search in prayerful faith, the chances are that the Lord would have given them a personal revelation that this is, capital letters, T-R-U-E, true. But no, they must quibble over it. Now, first of all, what, what enemies of the church is he possibly talking about when it comes to the context of the first vision? It seems like you're trying to go right to the source, Joseph Smith. Oh, well, if I can interject, um, Sandra's mother apparently had been questioning that, and she actually wrote later that she thought that maybe Joseph Fielding Smith was referring to her, but it wasn't a conspiracy. She had just raised the same questions maybe earlier. To me, it was just devastating. The bishop, he didn't just send me a copy of this. I had to come to the bishop's office to read it, and I asked if I could have a copy, and he said no. And I said, well, I at least ought to be able to have a copy. And he said, well, I'd have to pray about it. And finally, he did send me a carbon copy of the letter. But as I sat there, I thought, I'm just asking historical questions. Why am I getting this kind of angry response? I mean, I really touched a button on this one, evidently. I would think that would be very eye-opening because, like you say, you want to have an explanation regarding a troubling aspect that you've come across in LDS history. And yet he responds in such an angry way. Well, one of the issues there was that Sandra had asked for an account in Joseph's own handwriting. And we know that Joseph Fielding Smith knew that there was an account in his own handwriting, but almost nobody else did. We know it from his encounter with Von Brody. He must have thought, oh, she knows somehow. How did she find out that we really have this thing? But of course, he never admitted it in the letter. Are you talking about the 1832 journal? Right. Uh And he knew it existed. And other people knew it had existed, but Sandra didn't know it existed. Now, the 1832 account, we should explain, is in Joseph Smith's hand, at least it's it's been determined that, you know, at least partially, right, where he talks about how he goes and he prays to God wondering if his sins are forgiven. So he doesn't go there with the intent of knowing which church is true as the official account, the 1838 account tells us now, but he's going for his own personal confirmation that his sins were forgiven, and the Lord, the one who he says was crucified for him, appears, and he's having a conversation with what seems to be Jesus, but no God the Father shows up in this story. And he also knows, Joseph knows, before he goes and asks, that there is no legitimate church on earth. That's why he goes and asks God. So the whole thing's flipped. Right. He said that he'd already studied on that, and he came to the conclusion that there were no true churches on the earth. The official account now makes it sound like he didn't even know that until he was told that all the churches were wrong and their creeds were an abomination and their professors were all corrupt. So this is a pretty major conflict, you would think. It's a pretty big contradiction over what is officially being told to the members of the church. But the great mystery is that at the end of the century, The leaders didn't know either of these accounts, either the official one or the early one. They generally resorted to this story about there being an angel and the angel being the messenger. And what Joseph Fielding Smith had said in his letter to Sandra, well, that was obviously Moroni, but it wasn't obviously Moroni. It was a different vision. And so really this is what gets the Tanners started. They had 
honest questions. They ask the questions. They get an answer like this from Joseph Fielding Smith. Joseph Fielding Smith's answer is perfectly predictable for the way uh, Mormonism worked at the time. You don't question the leaders, period. And if you do, you get this kind of answer. And I think that's important because certainly the church over the years has changed their ways on that. They, they have to be much more open, and I guess you could say much more pleasant to people who are asking questions about the history. But that was not the way it was back then. So here you have this young couple asking these questions, and they're being treated really with a, a type of contempt as, I would assume, an intimidation factor to knock it off. Okay, don't ask these kind of questions. If you were right with God, you wouldn't even be bothering with these kind of questions. And I think that's something that's lost on a lot of the younger members of the church because they were not raised in a church like that. At least it hasn't been like that for a few years now, several years, I should say. Now the church is having to be much more open. As Sandra had mentioned earlier in the week, the Gospel Topics essays are a good example of that. Not that they did that really voluntarily. They almost had to do that. The book is Lighthouse, Gerald and Sandra Tanner, Despised and Beloved Critics of Mormonism, written by Dr. Ron Huggins, and is published by Signature Books. If you'd like to get your order in before this is released around the end of July, you may do so by contacting the Utah Lighthouse Ministry website. That's utlm.org, utlm.org. And we're going to continue this conversation on Monday's edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.